Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another episode. And today, Cody, we have decided for some sadistic reason, I'm realizing maybe this was a bad idea, to talk about some NBA power rankings. How how are we feeling about the teams? Not where they are necessarily today, but now that we've got a few weeks under our belt, the trajectory of this season, who are the contenders? Who are the pretenders? Who are the nets? What's going on with them? How many teams are actually tanking? Why are all the teams that were supposed to be tanking, why are they like six and two and at the top of the conference? Why is why is the league-wide offensive rating 114 points per 100 possessions, which would shatter the all-time record for a season? Why is it already there after two weeks, despite most seasons historically starting slow offensively? Are all the teams the same? What What's going on? Cody, I'm going to need some therapeutic help from you to get through this today. I'm excited to go through this because I'm looking at the teams and I'm like, I don't remember having this much just ambiguity going on, especially like near the top, not necessarily the very top, but like three for through 10 or something like that is just we'll see what happens. I, I I have no idea what to make of it. I'm watching the games as the season is unfolding. We're a couple weeks in now. And I thought, you know, we should have a show to try to make sense of this. A lot of people do power rankings, and I've done them in the past for Patreon subscribers at, at patreon.com slash thinking basketball. But this just needs to be talked out because I I can't even really make sense of what's going on in the first couple weeks of the season, I feel like there's parody coming down the pike. As I talked about with Dave Dufour in our season preview, there's also going to be a ton of tanking for victim Wembeyama. And it's like, oh, okay, so if you don't get Victor, then you get Scoot Henderson as the consolation prize. So we know a ton of teams later in the season are going to be eyeing toward that. Some of the contenders have had issues. I mean, we talked about Philadelphia a couple weeks ago. Um, I don't, what do you do there? If you make a trade and maybe there's a cough, maybe there's a coaching change. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, you get out of the gate, who knows what's going to happen. Should I view that team on the face of its potential and some of the things they could do? Um, do you just take them at face value and say, this feels like a very good team, but also a team that might have some critical warts as constructed. And therefore I don't think they can crack my my title tier. I, I don't. I don't know what to do with any of these teams. No, and like you said, like with Philadelphia, not jumping to them. I think there's a lot of questions with a lot of these teams. That's like, you know, do we hold the course? Because I feel like that's what I would do. I think this is why I wouldn't be a good coach or a good like general manager. I'm like, look, I built my team already. Like I'm feeling good about them. We're not making a change. Let's just full steam ahead and see what sort of thing happens. But that's what gets people fired. Are you saying you're trucking along as the five and two Spurs right now? You're going, you're, are you going for 50 wins? Is that what you're saying? At that point, I'm like, look, look, anything is possible. I've seen a couple sports movies in my life. Like, let's, let's make another one. I, I just want to point out, as of recording this, that teams projected not just to join the tankathon that's going to take place this season for a generational prospect, uh, the big fella from France, that These teams were also just thought to be genuinely bad in terms of roster construction. They didn't have a lot of great parts on them. The Spurs are five and two. They have a positive point differential. While I should say a positive adjusted point differential, if you account for their 
strength of schedule. You can see that uh, on basketball reference under their SRS or simple rating uh, statistic. Then you have the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are four and three. You have the Portland Trailblazers, who a lot of people I think had seen enough of and kind of moved off of, and they've started five and one. And the Utah Jazz, Cody, the Utah Jazz are six and two. I, I mean, <laughs> are are any of these teams? Have you seen any of these teams? And when you see them, do you think, well, actually, this might be a playoff team, not a not a tanking team? You know what I think when I, especially like the Spurs and the Jazz, the word that comes to mind is frisky. They're just like, like the Spurs, I was watching them like, man, they are just jamming like the ball down the other team's like throat every possession. It's like, all right, we're going to kick it ahead. We're just going to go straight at you. Like Devin Vassell is just going to like get in there, take a couple of pull-up jumpers. Keldon Johnson is just a bowling ball. He's just going to charge at the rim. Like, I, I don't know. That's how I feel about it. Same with the Jazz. They're just brimming with confidence. And I feel like they're just going out there like, whatever, let's see what happens. And that's, that's weirdly like a difference between some teams is some teams seem to go out there with a little bit more moxie and other teams are just like kind of sleepwalking ready for the playoffs i'm not sure i think the league has so much talent on the bottom end we haven't had expansion in such a long time and then coaching it doesn't feel like 20 years ago where you could have huge gaps in coaching every night it's more like a lot of the coaches are bringing similar x's and o's they're trying to get creative they get the players to buy in so much of coaching that we've talked about in many of our historical series is how can I get my team to be solid on defense? How can I take a bad defensive team and make them solid? How can I make a solid defensive team and make them good? How can I take a good defensive team and make them great? It's scheme. It's the, it's the people you put out there. Uh, it's effort. It's buy-in. It's all that stuff. I look at the Spurs. You've got Jakob Pertl. You've got the rise of Keldon Johnson. You mentioned Vassell. And then this rookie, Jeremy Sohan, who is just embodying Dennis Rodman wearing number 10 with the short shorts and the dye blonde hair. And he looks like a phenomenal defensive prospect. So we're not going to talk about all these lower level teams in any real detail, but they're a great example. The jazz are a great example of, Hey, if we've just got a bunch of competent NBA level players, we're truly not in the replacement level tier. And we got four, five, six, seven of those guys. The jazz might have like nine. Then they're hard to just regularly beat every night. I actually think the Jazz, if they kept their roster as is, if they don't trade anyone and they played it straight and they went for it and they stayed healthy, I think they're a playoff team. I That's a take. I actually, I've heard that from a, a couple of other corners around that Jazz have a chance to actually make the, the, the play-in compete, make it a little bit tough for some players. But again, I think these teams have, like you said, some players that are just going to go out there and make it a nightmare for the other team. Like the Spurs, Sohan, loving Sohan, just loving Sohan, <laughs> rookie of the year right there for all I'm concerned. But like going against him and Pirtle, like can you imagine being a big having to deal with that? Or even going to the Jazz, Jared Vanderbilt? Like, can you imagine going out there and be like, oh, my God, I have to deal with this guy, like, <laughs> for the entire game? And I think that sort of thing wears on you. Jordan Clarkson, it's like, all right, I need to always be just completely locked in because this dude could just, like, fire at any point and he thinks it's going to be going in. I think that's that's psychologically taxing to go against. Jared Vanderbilt's so good. He, the so Jazz good. either need to go for it with Jared Vanderbilt or or they need to trade him so I can see him. Can he get on, like, the Nuggets? Like, what kind of playoff contender can we have Jared Vanderbilt roaming around causing havoc behind the play? These aren't even the good teams, you know, in theory. These are the these are the teams that 
are supposed to be in the bottom half of the league. So let's make our way from teams that we don't really feel like we need to talk about too much that aren't inspiring us to try to sort out who the good teams are, who the pretenders are, and who maybe from a long-term perspective still kind of we're feeling good about that championship vibe. And then maybe some other teams who were, were even though it's a couple of weeks, we're selling on. We're saying, I don't know how I feel about this. Let's, let's do it that way. Does that sound good? I like that. That sounds good. Okay. I have the first, you guys know I don't love tiering things, but we're just trying to make sense of stuff. So I'm going to use tiers. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a fun little exercise for us today. My first tier is the tanking tier. That's Detroit. The Pistons are more fun than they were last year. I find myself turning them on a little bit. I think, to your point, they can be frisky on certain nights. They've added Bogdanovich. Kate Cunningham is a year older. Jaden Ivey is starting to do some things. They're, they're a little bit better, but the league is so solid that when you stack up the teams, the Pistons still don't look like they're going to win too many games to me. I'm putting Houston in that same category for very similar reasons. I still think long-term over the course of the year, as good as Shea, Ale- Shea Gilgis-Alexander is, and maybe maybe he, they just move up a tier completely because of him and because he's healthy and because he's driving the ship, but I just don't think they have enough roster parts to really be a competitive like top 20 team. So I'm going to keep Oklahoma City there for now. I've only seen bits and pieces of them, but I'm keeping them there. And then, I, I mean, I didn't know what to do with this team, but I feel like long-term, they're going to move into the tanking tier. You already mentioned them. I... I'm going to keep the Spurs down there. I feel like this... I, exactly. Cody's making a pain face. I'm making a pain face. I'm not, I'm not ready to say the Spurs are going to make a push for the playoffs in the West. I just... I'm not sure they're going to... That's how the season's going to play out. I just... I can't imagine like a, a Popovich team at this point in his career just being like, you know, we're going to end up in this in this tier at some point. Maybe that's like looking too much into it, but I, I, I can't see it. I can't see it. It hurts me too much. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You can talk me out of any of these. Probably maybe this maybe the Spurs jump into this competitive play in tier. Maybe that makes more sense uh, just for Cody. Thank I'm going to move the Spurs up. I'm going to keep them in a competitive Competitive play-in tier. We'll get to that tier in a second. But first, in between tanking and the play-in tier, Cody realized right before we recorded that I only had 29 teams on the board and that in the tier between tanking and play-in is the Lakers tier. And Cody, the only team in the Lakers tier is the Los Angeles Lakers. And that is a team that is both terrible and cannot tank. They are in just like a special circle of hell at the moment that I'd, I I don't know what to do. Like I, there's been so much voice spilled over this team. I'm not going to say anything more, but this is just a weird situation for a team. Yeah, not too much to say. Uh, just a terrible roster fit. I don't think they have the right pieces around their big two guys. Their big two guys are not at the same level they were a couple years ago. I mean... I think they got a boost anyway from having four months off before the bubble, both for Davis for his his body and recovery and LeBron for his age. And that was over two years ago now at this point. And so they're both good, but LeBron continues to age and AD is looking a little bit healthier, but he just does not have the same movement patterns at all that he had two or three or four seasons ago when he was a little svelter, a lot, a lot bouncier, uh, a little quicker, things like that. So you, you take two guys and you don't put any shooters around them. You don't put the right 
players around him. You add the challenge of Russell Westbrook fit in there, and it's like, yeah, that they're 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 in their own tier. The Lakers are in the Lakers tier, but they also can't take like they they have the inability of falling back on tanking because they don't have their picks. So like, what do you do? Do do you keep? This is one of those where it's like, do you keep trucking on because you can't? I don't think you can. But I also don't know what they do. This is one of the strangest team situations that I can remember. I mean, you th- built- that's not true in this kind of case, because there's a couple other teams that are maybe a little bit even stranger at this time. But this is one of the strangest, like, team building, what do we do from here situations. I think you have to build the entire season around LeBron James setting the all-time points record. Yeah. And hopefully you do that on a team that feels like uh, a spunky 36-win team or something maybe a young player emerges and you're you're feeling good about that I don't know let's move on we got to get to the we got to make sense of the actual uh, top half of the league because that's where I get really confused this episode is brought to you by Allstate Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere like at your pregame barbecue while you prep your meats that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch garage and the car inside and without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. The next group of teams, let's just call them play-in teams. I think these are teams that are going to compete for play-in spots. Remember, that's the 7th to 10th seed in each conference. And I think they're kind of in that similar quality, regardless of conference imbalances and things like that. So we move the Spurs in. I have the Hawks here. I have the Charlotte Hornets here. Now, the Hornets are an interesting team. Maybe the Hornets, maybe the Hornets could move into the the tankathon category. I just think they've been uh, decently respectable so far. Um, the Wizards, the Pacers, the aforementioned Utah Jazz, the Portland Trailblazers, the Sacramento Kings, and Cody. Cody, despite their one and seven start, despite their one and seven start, I refuse to give up on the Orlando Magic yet. The, the greatest team in the NBA right now running their giant lineups and Franz Wagner at point guard. I actually think the Magic are a little bit more dangerous than their record. They'll probably end up as a tanking team just for circumstances. Um, but, you know, just for fun, I had, to, I had to move them up. Ben, you've had the criticism of being biased leveled at you quite a bit in your career. This is the one time I'm happily going to join you with this bias. I can't I can't see the Magic as a tanking team. It hurts me too much. It feels like the Spurs, like putting it down there, like it's offensive to a team. Nope, can't do it. It's just they're really fun to watch. They've got a lot of interesting pieces. I think they have a lot more interesting pieces. Like if I'm actually going to defend them not being in the tanking, they have players that I'm like, if they put it all together, this is going to be a team that's, that's pretty interesting pretty quickly. So ultimately, I'm okay with them being in this tier. But I, I think your your point with the Hornets... I, I probably would put him down to the tanking. I just, I, yeah. I'm not vibing that team. Yeah. Um, 
they have had some very negative shooting luck from opponent three-point shots early in the season. I think that's a uh, an important indicator to kind of keep in mind. There's there's more to shooting luck than just three-point shooting or even just opponent three-point shooting. But if you look at Charlotte and you look at their indicators, they're around league average on offense, and they're a little better than league average on defense. And they've done this with the second worst opponent three-point shooting luck, which comes out to like five points a game going against them. So, you know, my thinking with Charlotte is that they're probably able to... Does does LaMelo Ball get to come back? Is he... Does he... He counts, right? Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I figure they're going to be able to truck along. For this group, in my head, I'm thinking we're like in the 30, 30 win range that's why it's very biased that i i've stuck the magic up here i still i still have hope that the magic can get into the the 30 win club this year but these are like 30 something wins maybe low 40s at the best you know to kind of touch that play in tier in my head so i mean you know you talk me off some of these teams but before we get to the good teams that this seems about right based on what i've seen so if you think these teams are going to be right around 30 wins uh do well, 30 to 30 to 40 okay. in, in the 30s yeah if you had to pick a team if i were to tell you ben there's going to be one team with fewer than 20 wins this season which team do you think you would go with probably houston or detroit don't you think okay i guess oklahoma city i see the thing is if oklahoma city like if shea sprains his ankle hmm. they're gonna they're probably gonna do a thing in february where they lose like 18 games in a row we, we've seen that historically from teams both in positions to get high lottery picks and tank, but also from teams who are young and and just not that not that filled. Uh, let me let me try to phrase that more delicately. Um, the roster is not full of solid NBA role players, right? Yeah. So you can't just say just because Shea is out that we're still going to have. Jay Crowder and Shelly Kelly Olynyk and you know Duncan Robinson and PJ Tucker. We're not going to have those kinds of players on the floor, and so boom, all of a sudden it's a 15 game losing streak. So I could see them, but my my instinct is Detroit or Houston. That's why I had them in the tanking tier. Yeah, I mean, as much as I would love to see like Garrison Matthews hours for a while with the Rockets, like if if one of their two like main scorers go out, I don't even with their two main guys there, I'm 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 concerned about the team. That's going to be my pick is Houston. Have you seen uh, Ben Matherin play for the Pacers Ooh, yet? I've watched a little bit of the Pacers. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Yeah. That dude, he's, that he's, can do, do stuff. He's fun. Yeah. He can do stuff. I think I, yeah. I sent a clip actually to the thinking basketball intelligentsia. He had like this dime where he like, he drives in. I think he was playing against the Nets and he like, he gets KD on a pump fake, drives in to like the free throw line, fakes, and he's like really patient waiting for an opening. I forgot who he hits, but I think it might be Turner. Hits him right underneath the basket for like this beautiful dime. I'm like, that was a really like savvy veteran kind of pass that he made. So that, I know it's one play, but I saw that and I'm like, that's that's a patient, that's a patient slick move from this guy. I like him. Yeah, and he's a big time scorer right now. He's, mm-hmm. he's come out of the gate averaging 26 points per 75 in his first eight NBA games on positive true shooting um still overall you know he's a rookie so we don't expect him to to look like a star player but these are these are pretty good numbers he looks good out there now maybe you downgrade that pass a little bit because it happened against the nets does it actually count (laughs) um have we gotten to that tier yet (laughs) oh no so okay so now (laughs) now we're left with how many teams is that we're left with like 17 or 18 nba teams I don't know how to I don't know how to sort these teams out. 
Um, I I feel like the Bulls, if I mean at some point in theory they're going to get Lonzo Ball back. Maybe they get healthier. Vucevic is playing well. I'm not quite sure what to make of Zach Levine and his knee situation and stuff like that. But the Bulls have been competitive at moments, and I've been impressed with their defense at times. And if you look at their defense right now through whatever it is, a couple weeks into the NBA season, they have like, I don't know, the 10th or 11th best defense in the league. It's about a point ahead of league average. But when you look at opponent shooting luck, the Bulls are by far having the like unluckiest ball go against them. They're giving up seven points per game. Hmm. So in theory, this could be a very good defense. Billy Donovan has a history of coaching solid defenses. So my thinking with the Bulls is that if they can get it together offensively and their defense is good and they get some health, then they're probably a little bit, I feel like they're a tier more competitive in theory than some of the teams we just discussed. I should also say the beauty of doing live radio is that I had the Charlotte shooting luck completely backwards. I'm downgrading Charlotte on the fly. Charlotte's had great shooting luck, and they still look like they are. I, I'm I'm moving Charlotte to tanking, Cody. Good. Okay. You feel better about I that? I feel better about that one. Okay. I apologize to LaMelo, though. That, that one hurts me <laughs> on the LaMelo side. Yes, absolutely. But on the Bulls, too, I think what's interesting about them is like, I think when they put it all together, that's an interesting regular season team. Like, I can, like, envision it, right? I can see, like, DeRozan's clicking, Levine goes nuclear, Vucevic is able to do the pick-and-pop thing that murdered the the Bucks for a little while during whatever playoff series that was a couple of years ago. Like, it makes sense to me, right? Especially when Alex Caruso is flying around, and especially if Lonzo comes back, which, man, I, I would love to see that, because Caruso and Lonzo together was, was something special. But with the Bulls, for me, it's just the playoffs that concern me. You know, we've yeah. consistently yeah. seen DeRozan's effectiveness just drop precipitously when he gets to the playoffs. I'm skeptical of Zach Levine putting it quite all together when it comes to the playoffs just because of, you know, I, I don't know if it's passing chops or awareness on defense or things like that. But I, I don't know. I, I could see this team being a better regular season team than a playoff team again. Yeah, I agree to that. I agree with that to some degree. I mean, I think defensively, Javante Green has played well. Tasumu has played well. You talked about Caruso. They can throw Derek Jones out there. Andre Drummond, again, has done a serviceable job as a backup center. Um, we all, It always feels like Drummond is sort of the butt of jokes or gets moved to different places. And then you realize like with his passing and the way he plays, he kind of has done a decent job as a second stringer uh, for a couple teams now. And I think he's doing it again there. If Goran Dragic continues to sort of hit the fountain of youth and play well. This just feels like a team that's at a level up compared to some of the teams we've talked about. And it's not to say a team like Portland, in my mind, couldn't move up here. I love the explosion of Anthony Simons. If, if, if you guys missed Simons uh, a week or two ago, whenever that was, hitting like six threes in a row in the third quarter, that was an incredible show. So you have him and Dame. So maybe maybe Portland could move up into this tier. But for instance, comparing to the teams that I'm saying we're jumping up a tier from, I don't know about you, Cody, but I have not been inspired by what I've seen from Atlanta so far. Oh, no. What what sorts of things don't inspire you about them? Uh, when the other team has the ball and, 
And then what Atlanta has to do is they have to stop the team from scoring. Actually, the Hawks' defense statistically has been has been decent to start the start the season. So, I mean, maybe you could talk me into moving them up into this area. I guess the biggest thing I haven't loved is the Murray Young pairing on offense. To me, feels like it's kind of taking away from. Trey's strengths. I mean, he's still got a pretty high offensive load. And so when you watch them, you know, you you throw on a game and you watch eight minutes, it feels like it works. So it's not that it doesn't work. It's just when you surround them, I mean, they've they don't have Bogdanovich, they don't have Kevin Herter anymore. Um, you know, you're kind of left with this DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, uh, I like a Kongu on defense as a part there, but it just doesn't feel like they have a huge amount of offensive bite. And then I think for them, they would do well in the long term, from what I've seen to be like a league average offense. So maybe as I say that, that actually puts them in the, this next playoff tier, but there is kind of, I feel uneasy about them. It felt, it felt like there were a few times when I was watching them where, especially when Murray and Trey were on the court at the same time, where I thought they were doing a, a better job of getting Trey off ball again. Like he was coming off pin downs. I mean, he's not Steph Curry, right? But he's coming off pin downs, hitting some catch and shoot threes. I would love to see Trey a little bit more off ball because the shooting numbers are just are nuts when he's when he's off ball like that. But I don't know. This is one of those teams that I think I'm giving a little bit of a grace period just because when you when you incorporate another player that is so used to running so many pick, like what, like 35% of, of Murray's possessions last year were in the pick and roll. And Trey obviously is one of the highest load players we've literally ever seen. And when you're incorporating those two guys, especially when Murray just doesn't have the off ball kinds of chops that you'd like to see from a, a complimentary star, it's going to take some time. And so I'm like, it's early. You know, Trey's numbers aren't great comparatively in the past. Trey is still an absolute disaster on defense, just completely a disaster. But I think maybe once they get that all sorted out and they can maybe build a better defensive ecosystem once, you know, Murray and Collins and Okongwu are all kind of clicking, maybe it starts to work. That's where I am with Atlanta right now. You've convinced me. Okay. I'm moving Atlanta up into this this playoff tier. Mm. So that means that means you've got the Spurs, the Wizards, the Pacers, the Jazz. Sacramento, Portland, I'll put at the top of this play-in situation because I'm, you know, Portland's had a good start to the season. They've got some nice indicators. I could see going higher on Portland. Maybe they're in that same range. And now we've got Atlanta. We've got Chicago that we've talked about. Another team at this level for me, from what I've seen, is the Knicks. I don't know if you've been able to see them yet, but offense built more around Jalen Brunson. And the thing that's important to me with New York is that just the effort and the buy-in on defense is there with Tom Thibodeau when you have these defensive coaches and they've been there multiple seasons. Are you going to continue to get that from the players? It looks like they got that. Cody, I I mean, I think you have to whisper this for political reasons at this point, but I kind of like R.J. Barrett's game hmm. now. He's kind of... He doesn't, he doesn't... I don't know. At least in the Knicks stuff I've seen, he's not trying to force isolation as much. He's more playing within the flow, knocking down corner threes. Uh, you got Obi Toppin there. So the Knicks seem, let, let's call this like, let's call this playoff feisty. We got play in, we got playoff feisty. These, these teams all kind of seem similar to me. So I know that numbers are so fickle this early in the season, right? We're not working with a very big sample size, but I'm looking at New York's numbers. 
RJ Barrett, he's negative nine efficiency on the season. Julius Randle, negative five efficiency on the season. Then going back to Barrett, Barrett's barely, he's not even creating three shots a game or three shots every 100 possessions for his teammates. And so I see those things and I'm like, I haven't watched a lot of this team. I know Brunson is great. We talked a lot about Brunson last year. Is he really going to be enough to kind of buoy all this? How is the offense actually working when you have two of these players that are so inefficient and not necessarily creating a ton of shots? Uh, I'm not sure. The statistical profile makes me nervous. Are you seeing something different that that you think looks a little bit better than what the the numbers are saying right now? No, I think the I think the concerns when you get to the playoffs about them having like an above average offense are valid. Uh, I I wouldn't expect that. Um, so then I guess the question becomes, how good can they be defensively? I mean, this feels like about the right tier for that level of team, right? Like, just like Chicago, like we think they're better in the regular season. Maybe they have some flaws that get them in the postseason. But I think with these teams, you know, if they were to win 40 something games, you wouldn't be surprised at all. Okay. That's kind of that's kind of where my head is. OK, I might be a little bit. Just a little bit. A little bit surprised. surprised. Yeah. If the Knicks win 40 games. Yes. I'm going to come out and say that. That feels kind of bold now that I'm like saying it out loud, but uh, I'm going to stick with it. This whole episode feels bold now that I'm saying <laughs> any of these things out loud, because to be clear, I, I need, I'm on a couch right now and you're talking me through how to make sense of the first two weeks of the season. Like, I have it written out in front of me, and every time we talk about a team, in case you can't tell, I keep changing my mind because I just don't know what to make of them. Can we move into the best part of this show? The tier, the next tier I called Playoff Gray Zone. Playoff Gray Zone. You could probably come up with a more fun title. I do not know what to make of any of these teams. Um, the Nets, the Timberwolves, you're 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 gonna love this list of teams I have because they just seem like they're coming from eight different directions. The Heat, the Raptors, the Grizzlies, and the Dallas Mavericks, who are like at the top of the conference and seem to be sailing. But I I I mean, when I look at the eight or nine teams I have ahead of them, I don't know I don't know what to make of these teams when I think about winning a third and fourth playoff series. If one of these teams could win a single playoff series, I could see that. I'm not sure where to go. I guess Dallas and Memphis you feel better about because they have a history and maybe if they're all healthy and clicking. But certainly the first... I really want to talk about Brooklyn, Minnesota, Toronto, and Miami. I I don't know how to feel about these teams from a can we get to the conference finals kind of standpoint? That's funny. You said the four teams that you're interested in, in my mind, I'm like, man, we have to stick with Dallas because I feel like that's the interesting one. But I look at this list and all of them, that's an episode in itself is just breaking this team down because I don't know, especially Dallas, you know, you look at the numbers here and you watch him play. Luka Doncic is just, he's, he's a wizard, man. Like you watch him go and there's just, there's kind of no stopping him. Like, I don't know if he quite had it as developed last year, but the spin cycle layup that he's got, takes someone down, bullies them into the uh, down to the block, and just keeps faking and faking and faking until he hits a finger roll. It's incredible. But also, this guy's like breaking the barrier of how much a player can be creating on a team. Like, I almost mm. want to nickname this guy Icarus because like he's flying, he's flying a little too close for my comfort. And I don't know when the wings are going to burn off, but I'm afraid it's going to happen at some point because every time I watch the Mavericks, I'm I'm wowed 
I'm just astounded by how good Luca is, but I also always like would I be in, would I enjoy being a wing playing next to this guy? Would this be a fun time for me going to basketball every day with this sort of thing happening? And I don't know if that affects it at all, but I can't not think it every time I watch the Mavericks play. Well, as of recording this, they have the best offensive rating in the league at 120. Part of what's happening, I don't I don't know what to make of the incredible scoring efficiency right now that we're seeing to start the season. I mean, just to put these numbers into comparison, if you go back over the last five, six years or whatever, and you and you look at the leaders, uh, excuse me, you look at the league-wide efficiency after the first month of the season, so October and November, we're still early in November, uh, but this thing looks like it's trending up, not down, which is crazy. In 2016, in the first month of the season, Cody, the league-wide offensive efficiency was 104 was 104.3 it was nine points nine points lower than what it's been this month to start the year 2017 it jumped to 108 2018 it was 108 2019 it went up to 110 2021 the first month was uh 111.5 and if you recall last year we dropped back down to 110 with some of the points of emphasis on the officiating the officiating it feels like They've been uh, rewarding the offense a little bit less for my eye during early parts of the season. And so it hasn't been gratuitous, but I think we're similar in officiating style to where we were at the end of last year. And at the end of last year, the offensive ratings at the end of the season were like 114 in the final months of the year. So, you know, when you go back to Dallas, can Dallas just ride that wave? Or has Dallas built a system around Luka and the three-point shooters that it's like, yeah, we can generate an offense of 118 or 120 at an absolute level. And if the offensive rating in the league keeps climbing, then we're not necessarily going to climb with it because of our style. I don't know. I, I buy Dallas and I like them a lot. I have a hard time seeing them win that third and fourth playoff series against the contenders the way they're currently constructed. I think something to keep in mind with the Mavericks, too, is they they just have this offense that's off the charts. And I think, you know, people give Luka a ton of the credit. Now, obviously, they should, they should give him a ton of credit. He's the one that's creating a lot of it. But what's interesting in this early playing with small sample size numbers is that their offense is actually better when he's off the court so far this season. And so... You know, I'm not I'm not necessarily saying that to take any weight anything away from Luca, but when you build this high level of an offense, it's not like Luca has this crazy offense and then the bench comes in and brings it down. It's just that like no matter what, they seem to have an incredible offense right now. So I think in people's minds that might be ballooning a little bit of what he's doing to their overall offensive rating. Yeah, I, I this is yet another year. I mean, if you look at his career, the change when he's off the court versus on the court is zero which is really weird for a player, not only of his stature and his ability, but also a player of his style. Now, it may be playoff-specific impact. I still think the jury is way too early to, to sort of write any narratives based on that. But it, it is interesting to your point that the Mavs offense continues to function seemingly with him off the floor in a way that you wouldn't expect. You know, it's just like, why don't they why don't they completely fall apart when he goes to the bench and it seems to be the opposite. So Dallas is a weird team for me to kind of sort out in that I could see them having a really nice regular season and kind of finishing near the top of the Western 
conference based on the start that they've had, assuming everyone stays healthy. And we saw them play well in the playoffs last year. And if we get a Josh Green breakout year, I mean, we're going to ha- might have to make a video about that. That'll be fantastic. But again, when I stack them up against the teams above them, am I like, does Dallas have in my head a decent shot of winning a conference finals and a finals series against these teams? And to me, I, I don't know. That just feels almost impossible at this point. I know, but there's always like the the little bit that's like, what if Luka just has an all-time playoff series? Which is like a possibility. What if he just comes in and drops like a, you know, a 45 plus 10 kind of series? Or it's like, well, no one was going to beat this team. And I feel like that's that's kind of the avenue that you can imagine for them making it even deeper than you'd think. Okay, now what about Memphis? I feel like it's a similar thing with Memphis where they had, uh, I would say, a pretty good playoff showing last year. They clearly have this nice deep team. John Morant, if anything, looks better to start the season just like... Luca, I mean, John Morant's numbers are actually fantastic to start the year. He's played six games, John Morant, and it is a measly 38 points per 75 on uh, true shooting percentage. It's 11 percentage points better than the league. And then you you go down the line and you realize that Memphis has been outscored with John Morant on the floor. I mean, I, I, I just don't know what to make of this. You know, they're going to get Jaron Jackson Jr. back in theory, and that'll change the dynamic. But again, this is a team that feels like a good team. It is in the top half of the league. They are, we know they're dangerous, and you don't want to play them regularly. They're a tough, tough out, probably. Uh, but, you know, winning a conference finals and a finals, still very hard for me to see. I think, I mean, we have enough sample at this point to say that they should just trade Morant for like a good player. <laughs> like last year, they were like the best team of all time without him. This year, already st- off to a better start with him off the court. Get rid of the guy. Get rid of the no, guy. No, 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 no. They are better with him on the court oh, than I- off the court. They're just being outscored in both scenarios. I misheard you on that. I, I yeah. apologize. I'll take that back. Clearly, this completely topples my entire argument. But the thing with Ja that I'm seeing this year, I feel like in the pick and roll, he's just unstoppable. And I think they have a really interesting dance going on when they run their kind of like horn sets with with Bane and Adams kind of at the top of the at, at the elbows. I feel like that's a th- really hard trio to stop because Adams just crushing screens, just incredible at giving Ja a runway. And Bain is so good at just kind of running around. Still, you know, we talked about him as being one of the best shooters last year. I think his game has expanded even more this year. And of course, you can't give Ja an inch of space. Like, I think he's dabbling a little bit more in that that mid-range pull-up. You know, I've seen him hit a couple of, like, the step-back fades a little bit more from that range. And defenses are happy to give that to him because if he gets a step, just a step going downhill, I mean, he has to be the most devastating downhill player since, I I don't even know since who, since like prime LeBron at this point. This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. Looking to refresh your closet, home, or beauty routine this spring? Walmart's got all the stylish goods in one stop. From chic new looks and the latest makeup to quality furniture and tableware. Go to walmart.com slash now trending. That's walmart.com slash now trending for the hottest fashion, home, and beauty finds. 
your style at Walmart. Man, now there's still nine teams we haven't talked about, Cody. Nine <laughs> teams we haven't talked about. And, and this gets even weirder for me because if you're thinking that I think every one of these teams is going to have a better season or finish with a better record than some of the teams we just talked about, I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree with that. That's not what I'm saying. But I have to have this tier that exists past the Raptors, past the Heat, even past Dallas, past Memphis, certainly past Brooklyn. And Brooklyn, the wheels could completely fall off. There could be trades. That's why, that's why Brooklyn is the epitome of the playoff gray zone team because they're like still clearly good enough to be a playoff team. They've got a new coach coming in. They've had defensive problems. But as they get healthier and as Seth Curry comes back and if Kevin Durant plays basketball games, I, just, I don't think Brooklyn's going to win 35 games. They're just going to be competitive enough to make the playoffs. But they're not one of these teams to me anymore, Cody, that's in the dangerous but flawed camp. And dangerous in a way that I think they could win that third playoff series. They maybe could win that fourth playoff series and win the whole thing if things come together. I have a couple teams in this tier, but there's three ones I'm specifically thinking of. Philadelphia, the Clippers, and the Denver Nuggets. The Clippers. The Clippers. The Clippers. Ben. I yeah, the Clippers. They we've talked, you know, we've talked about them a little before. They they have about 11 wingmen. Um look, I don't want to get stuck on the Clippers. Okay. The short of it is this. Some of these guys are coming back from injury. We know they're a playoff team. It's they seem like they're still very dangerous. I still like the idea of them. I haven't changed my mind on that at all. But as the league, as the season is starting to unfold, I just it feels more palpable to me that like well, these guys are coming off injury and these guys are getting older and the league continues to adapt and change. And maybe maybe their switchy five out, you know, all wing lineup, maybe it's not quite as playoff unique without having prime, Le- uh, I almost said pr- prime LeBron, prime Kawhi. I'm just getting my big squatters mixed up going back a couple weeks. Um, pr- prime Kawhi. And so it's like, I think if those guys are all healthy and look like they did a couple of years ago, that's the dangerous part because then I think you're a clear title team. But there's still question marks. Um, we've talked about Philadelphia's question marks. I, I Philadelphia was the first team I put in here because I'm like, does Philadelphia even fall back to the playoff gray zone if they don't make some of the changes that we discussed uh, a couple episodes ago? And then Denver's the new team because I think Denver is a legitimate title contender if things click, if everyone's healthy, if the offense comes together. I like KCP. I like Bruce Brown. Aaron Gordon is your fourth or fifth best player. There's just a lot of good stuff that we've talked about. But right now, Cody, everything is not clicking. Jamal Murray is still only like 50% of himself. He has a long way to go. Michael Porter, he's a great shot maker, but there's still a little stiffness in the back. He's not as fluid. And we know they've they've had injury issues with this team before so I, I i don't know what to do with these teams i don't know what to do with denver either like bones highland he's scoring a good amount dreadfully inefficient uh aaron gordon 
doing Aaron Gordon types of things. Like I, the stat means nothing, but I think he was leading the season in dunks at a certain time, which I think is just a really nice, a nice byproduct of playing next to Jokic. Jokic is just Jokiching. Like I think his number, his numbers are down from last year. I feel like he might even like have leveled up as a passer. Like I feel like his passes are just even more ridiculous than before. He has the like game breaking plus minus stuff that he had last year. I mean, there's still like a plus seven when he's on the court and they're like a, his on off is like plus 30. Mm, it's like plus yeah. 30. And I, I don't know, as long as you have this guy out here who's just plugging along with some of the greatest regular seasons, we've uh, some of the greatest offensive regular seasons we've we've basically ever seen, like maybe he can keep the boat afloat while Murray starts putting it back together and Porter gets healthy. I don't know. I feel like a lot of these conversations this year, like this player that hasn't played for either all of last year or a big chunk of last year, how long is it going to take for them to ramp up and be 80%, 90% of what we expect from them? And I think until we know the answer to that question, it really affects the outcomes of like three or four teams at this point, and the Nuggets are one of them. Yeah, that's 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 well said. Um Another team that could be in this category is Phoenix, who just continues to be a regular season machine. And I got to tell you, despite what has happened in Phoenix and despite how the season ended in the playoffs last season, I think if Chris Paul were like three years younger, I would have them in my inner circle title contenders because I just think we put too much stock in that kind of narrative sometime. And if the team's really good, they can overcome it. My concern with Phoenix is as good as they are and how you know winning can cure these things that Chris Paul is averaging 11 points per 75 on negative 10% true shooting. And if you're unfamiliar with those stats, that's the 21st percentile in the entire league in scoring rate on the 10th percentile in the entire league in scoring efficiency. And while I do think he's a bit of an ageless wonder, there's a big difference between having two star players in your backcourt and one star player, and then a guy who in a playoff series will have like one good game and then struggle for three games. And that's kind of where I am with Phoenix, where I, I, after a couple weeks, I think they're fine and they're going to be really good. I just don't know if I can get them into that win four series in May and June kind of thing. Yeah, 100%. Chris Paul, to me, is the is the sticking point. And it, it really isn't informed by the performances last year in the playoffs. Like, I know a lot was made of that, but it's more like Chris Paul is really showing his age more than I've ever seen it. Mikhail Bridges, like, isn't missing this year. So that's pretty cool for them. He's basically shooting like he's a he's a lob threat. Like, that's what his percentages look like. And I think Devin Booker's come out the gate, like, looking pretty spectacular. But, you know, once we get to the playoffs, if Chris Paul doesn't doesn't isn't able to ramp it up to some degree like he looked like last year, I don't think this team has a chance. Okay, this is this is the part of the show where I really need you. Okay. This, this this is really the this is really the entire reason why we did the show. These these two teams right here, and then we can almost wrap it up. Um, we've talked about the playoff gray zone. We've talked about the dangerous but flawed teams. There's a couple kind of inner circle title teams that you feel good about based on where they are, who they are, and how they played in the last season or two. And then there's the young teams, the Pelicans and the Cavs. And I have more faith in the Cavs right now. I think the Cavs are really good, period. Full stop. How many playoff series can they win as constructed? How, you know, what will the league look like? What will their, their team look like? Is Ricky Rubio going to come back and be a factor? Ricky Rubio is coming off an ACL, 
But Ricky Rubio somehow just turned 32. It doesn't even... I was like, oh, Ricky Rubio, he's got an ACL. He's 36 or 37. That's nice. He'll come back and play six minutes a game. Ricky Rubio's a really good player. Their bench is better than before. Kevin Love is flamethrowing off the bench. They have this great versatility with the front line where Love can be the spacer and shooter. Jared Allen is the traditional drop big and rim protector and rim runner. And Evan Mobley is just Mr. Everything. He can play every coverage. He can play five. He can play four. You can play mismatch in in the post on offense. You can play him on wings on defense. He can space and shoot. Not a great shooter yet still, but I mean, he just allows their front line to be very malleable. Then in the backcourt, I'm going to use that term liberally, they've got Mitchell, they've got Garland, and they've got Levert. All three of these guys are playmakers that drive the offense. Garland isn't even playing, and the Cavs have the best point differential of any team in the league after a couple weeks. And then all the wings kind of just fill in and, you know, Jetty Osmond and Dean Wade. They're just three and D guys that don't take anything off the table. In other words, it fits really well. Bickerstaff's been great with some of the X's and O's. I love the way he's using these guys. They're very versatile. They have a ton of talent. Yeah, I, I just I just think Cleveland's going to be really good all year. And the, the only question is... How far can they a team like that, as constructed for the first time, go in the playoffs? So here's the thing. They they had a guy in Donovan Mitchell who, you know, last year notwithstanding, has had just a couple of all-time sort of scoring postseasons. Like a guy that's proven in the playoffs that he can really ramp it up. He can take out defenses and things like that. He started this season like a flamethrower, right? Just a flamethrower. We have another all-star level guard coming back. And we have this ecosystem that you just described. Ben, why aren't you higher? On this team, like everything that you just described to me is like, it, I have three. I only have three teams listed ahead of them. How much? <laughs> how much higher can I get on the Cavs? Three teams, Ben. You ju- you just said that you're like you don't know how far they can go in the playoffs. Why not? Like based on everything, why why aren't they the title favorite? Well, one, there's probably only been one team in NBA history that's brought a star in uh, and kind of. Uh, I shouldn't say brought a star in and won a title because sometimes you get like Moses Malone joining Julius Irving. You get um, Anthony Davis joining LeBron James. But it feels like young players and then bringing in Donovan Mitchell. It's hard to know how a young team like that is going to perform in the postseason. And therefore, I think it's hard to expect them to have the ability, the versatility, the experience, the moxie to win in the third and fourth round. Now, with that said, it's not impossible. Um, I think to some degree, Golden State in 2015 had that kind of breakthrough, and we've seen other teams do it, but I'm just not comfortable yet. I just haven't seen enough of the Cavs. I mean, Cat Cody, we haven't even seen them with Garland yet. So I think that's the easiest way to look at it. Mobley's in his second year. I still love what he's doing defensively. Where his offense fits into this entire thing in year two for me is a big question mark, especially when you get to the playoffs. And I should say, you know, Garland has to come back and play next to Mitchell. I think it's very promising because they can both do on-ball and off-ball things. The shooting and the playmaking is just nasty. But then when you add that, what happens to Levert? Does Levert revert? Or does his playmaking continue? Because his scoring hasn't been the thing. It's been him as another playmaker in this very fluid, beautiful game system that they're running regardless of who's out there. I just really love some of the X's and O's sets that they've had. So... I don't know how much, maybe this is the Midwest in you, 
talking, but I do have a Midwestern team ahead of them. So you you will uh, you will be satiated on that front. Ah, uh, which Midwestern team do you have ahead of them? That's come on, inner tier title contender. That's the Bucks. You know this. I just want to talk to say about it. Say, say it again, Ben. Say it again. Yes, the, the Milwaukee Bucks, I still think you have to look at them as a strong title contender. Uh, the Celtics, I actually wonder if having the Ime Udoka situation behind them is liberating for them, potentially in a vote of confidence in Joe Missoula. And then we can talk about this team more if you want, because I actually think there are plenty of concerns long-term in the season, but just a lot of talent and championship pedigree for the Warriors. And we know how hard they are to guard in a playoff series. We know what Steph Curry can do. You have, if, if Draymond Green is healthy and going, and you have Draymond, Steph, Jordan Poole, Clay Thompson, some role players like Kevon Looney, et cetera, et cetera. That's that's another team for me at that level. Yeah, and Curry is just having another a fantastic season, but he's kind of in the Jokic level here where he's just, he's doing his thing. He's doing his thing, and he just has these, these on-off, on numbers that are off the charts. But I, I don't know, Ben, compared to, say, last year's Warriors who had a bench that kind of made a little bit more sense. You know, they don't have the, the Otto Porter Jr. They don't have Gary Payton. They don't have... I don't even know who else off the top of my head. Bialica. Bialica. They don't have Bialica. Like, some of these guys that can even buoy a little bit in the regular season that might not have got some some run in the playoffs. I don't know. They have these young guys like in in Kuminga and in Moody who, you know, look good in spurts. But I think those are the players that I struggle to trust more in the playoffs. And I don't necessarily know how much that actually impacts the overall team. Because if you have like, you know, Clay Thompson is shooting us down a little bit. But if you have Clay going, you have Steph. You have Draymond ramping up again. You have Andrew Wiggins who can lock down. Looney's out there. I, I don't know. Is that enough for them to come back and re- repeat again? I, I guess my concern with them is more about defense, and that's something that we might not see reconciled with a veteran team coming off a title with this makeup until the playoffs. Does that make sense? Because last year they were just incredible when they were healthy to start the season defensively. That was their big differentiator. It wasn't they like they came out and had some record-setting offense. Their offense was good. It's always good, and it's always feisty and challenging. But right now, if you look at the Warriors, they have a negative net rating. They are playing like what looks like about a 500 team around, you know, what they played about seven, seven or eight games to start the season. And the defense is below league average. And the defense is below league average with some shooting luck that's actually gone in their favor. Not too much, but it's it's another two points per game on that end or so based on just the three-point shots. Uh, So I I look at Golden State and I'm like, can they be a top three or top five defense for the entirety of the regular season? And I don't think they can. I think that's looking like a harder ask. And so it turns into one of those things where you you want to you want to win a certain number of regular season games to not get buried in the play in or not be a fifth seed and not have home court advantage. You want to be in the top four. You want to be in the top three. And then when we get to the postseason, are you a veteran team that can kick that defensive intensity up? That's kind of how I see them. It's more more questions on the defensive side, and it relates to what you said about the bench because Gary Payton Jr. Gary Payton the second when he was healthy, he gave them an extra gear in terms of versatility and lineup versatility that was defensively oriented. He was amazing defensively. Otto Porter was a good defender for them off the bench last season. So they need to be able to generate that in some way, I think, for me to really feel super comfortable 
about them. And, and this is all new and early and, and I'm just sorting out my thoughts, but um, I think they have to be there, but they're also, they're also a team that, I, I mean, I don't think it's been a super encouraging start if I were like thinking we're going to, we're going to run away with this this year. And I think, you know, over the last couple of years, we've seen stars miss tons of time. Like last year, it was, it was a shock if somebody played like 63 games or something like that. And so, you know, you have to think like that. Is Steph Curry going to miss time again? And if he misses time, you talk about the defense. I'm worried about their offense. You know, I think Jordan Poole's passing looks the best it's ever had before. I think he's out there really throwing some nice bounce passes. He's running the pick and roll beautifully. But I, I don't think he can keep this ship afloat if Curry's out for any amount of time. Like, if he misses 20 games or something like this, like, are they going to post, like, a negative three offensive, a negative four offensive rating? Like, mm, is that out of yeah. the question? And I that that's my concern, is that are they going to have to be fighting again if that sort of thing happens to even get, like, a eight or seventh seed in a playoffs? I think we need a bigger sample. It is definitely a, a small sample theater. But to your point, the bench has struggled with Curry off the floor, um, if you just look at Curry's off the the Warriors' offensive rating with Curry on the court, it's one nineteen, which is plenty good. It's eighty fourth percentile league wide. But then if you look at Jordan Poole, Jermichael Green, some of these bench guys, they're in the seventeenth percentile. It goes down to one oh six. And so to your point, if he misses twenty games and you struggle and you got a bumpy offense, even if that defense makes up for it, you know what's your win pace? in those 20 games is a 35 win pace. What does that do to your final record? So we, we never sorted out the Pelicans. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what to make of them. I feel like they're going to have uh, a high end offense. And I feel like if the defense can stay afloat, they're going to win a lot of games. And, you know, I think they health is obviously the thing I'm cheating with here, right? Because we've talked about health and the realities of the health for all these other teams, both in terms of guys missing time based on regular wear and tear, both on um, injury kind of likelihood. We talked about the Nuggets and you know teams that have been fragile, and then guys coming back from injury, like the Kawhis of the world, Jamal Murray, uh, another Nuggets guy. Like We've talked about all this injury stuff, and yet with New Orleans, the elephant in the room is, are they healthy? Is Zion healthy? And I think it's more fun to treat them as if they're healthy, and knock on wood, you know, these guys can play 60, 60, 65 games, get a solid seed. And then the question is, can you play at a mid-level defense with a high-level offense? Because right now, the way the Pelicans look, for instance, they have the fourth best offense in the league. That offense is five points above league average. And then their defense is a little better than league average. And when you put that together, Cody, that's usually like a 55-win team in the NBA. And that actually seems reasonable for the full-strength Pelicans to me. So I like... I like what you said. It's it's more fun to imagine this team healthy. It's more fun to talk about that. And I know just came off talking about the Warriors being unhealthy. But if we look at the Pelicans here, I really like the peripheral players, right? The Trey Murphy, the third experience has been really interesting. You know, he's just a big dude out there doing some stuff. Obviously, Alvarado's incredible. Herb Jones, Herb, jo- Herb, not cooking with him. Herb Jones, Herb Jones is, is he missed a game, but he's still just, you know, unbelievable defensive player. I remember him just draped all over Durant earlier in the season. But my big question, you know, we have all of these great players that they have on the roster, these role players, but Zion in the playoffs, like let, let's imagine that he is healthy. 
what is he going to look like defensively? Because that's always been the thing is what happens when you have a team that's able to scheme against him in a playoff setting? Is his defense going to be able to hold up? What is his offense going to look like when a team can can scheme against him? But that's secondary. The defense, Ben, I need to see him. I need to see him more engaged in a defensive way in a more high leverage situation than I have before. And I know you did a whole video on his improved movement patterns this season. What do you think about his defense? Do you think that they have they've helped him improve on the defensive side? Because I remember when he last played, they were they were rough and and choppy, and I don't necessarily know how much has changed since then. Yeah, that that video Cody is referring to is available on the NBA app. Uh, if you go in there, you'll see it under Thinking Basketball. I, I don't think it's been great defensively, and I mean, <laughs> let let's let's finish with this because you have punctured the entire philosophical absurdity and existential angst of this exercise in this episode today. The playoff gray zone, these dangerous teams that are flawed, the title tier teams, they make up half the league. We've talked about 15 teams, Brooklyn, Minnesota, Toronto, Miami, Dallas, Memphis, Philadelphia, the Clippers, Denver, Phoenix, the Pelicans, Cleveland, Milwaukee, Boston, Golden State. That's the top half of the league. I still don't really know what to make of the top half of the league. And I think a lot of it after talking it through is not just sample. It's about all these moving parts with who's going to stay healthy, who is healthy, who's been healthy, who's coming off of injury. The league is changing a little bit. We've got this crazy offensive efficiency to start the year. The X's and O's, you know, each team is doing a little bit, uh, you know, copycat league kind of stuff where they, you know, how are we get, we're going to get a double stagger. We're going to get a third guy involved. We're going to do a handoff. We're going to, we're going to twirl around this screen. You know, they all kind of do the same thing. And so after a couple of weeks, uh, I mean, how many of these teams, let's put it this way, top half of the league. You tell me, Cody, how many teams could win a title and it wouldn't surprise you. Could the answer be like somewhere between seven to ten? Right? Can you list those teams? So I'm just, man, I, I want to say the Cavaliers to stick with it, but it, it would surprise me if they won. Well, that would surprise. It would me. surprise me. It would. Yeah. Um, Suns. I don't think it would. Sun, it it was surprise. I don't know what to do with the Suns. It, it might actually surprise me this year. If this was last year, it wouldn't have surprised me. You know, never mind. The Suns wouldn't surprise me. I'm being dumb. I wouldn't. I would wouldn't not. surprise. It you. would not. The Suns are very yeah. good. Um, Bucks, Celtics, Warriors, Suns. Yeah, wouldn't surprise you. Yep. Would the Clippers, Nuggets, or 76ers surprise you? Uh, Clippers would surprise me at this point. Okay, Cl- fascinating. Clippers would surprise. Fascin- me. They, Clippers would not surprise me. The Nuggets would not surprise me. I'm getting close to like the 70 as constructed yeah. as constructed the seven. I, let's let's go on record as constructed. The 76ers would surprise. They me. would surprise you. Yeah. Yeah. I've moved into and say something needs to change. OK. Yeah. See, they, they don't have the moxie that I was talking about. They need someone like a I guess like that was the Thibault comment we talked about last time. I want Thibault and Melton to be the, the moxie players that they have because they, they just don't have moxie right now. Yeah. So who else? Uh, you know. With the Pelicans, yeah, I would. That would surprise. That would surprise me. Mavericks, yeah. I I don't know what to do with the Mavericks. The Mavericks would surprise me. Timberwolves. (laughs) (laughs) See, I I still feel like I'm only about five five. Memphis, as constructed, would surprise me if Jaron Jackson Jr. comes back. I might change my mind on that. Miami would surprise me. Toronto would surprise me. 
the Nets would. So I'm still only about five, maybe six teams. But here's the thing. I love that you got to ten teams. Yeah. Here, here's the thing, though. I, I, I feel like the Celtics would have surprised you last year, right? You talked seventy for five percent into the season. You know, no, the Celtics. No, no, hold on. The Celtics would have surprised me if we did this show at the same point in time. Okay. Once we got on the Celtics, that that I don't know if like when you called them inner circle title contenders. Yeah. When was that? February. Yeah, I think so. I think you should get credit for that. Thank you. That was. Yeah, yeah, because I don't remember if that was an episode we did, but you slammed the table and you said the Celtics are inner circle title. See, it wouldn't have surprised me at that point because I think I said I could see it, but inner circle and you said, yes, Ben, they are tier one inner circle. But I think the larger point there is November, there's still probably a team that could come out of nowhere. And then by January or February, you're like, okay, now I can see it. And that's what I'm saying. There's so many moving parts. It still feels hazy. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's why I have so many right now where I'm like, I could see it right now. But I think if we redo this exercise in a couple months, uh, that number should be like halved at that point. I would hope. Okay. We might redo this in a couple months. We might might never do this ever again. Uh, I have no idea. I have no idea if this was remotely entertaining or uh, maybe this was a bad idea to do this. Who knows? Um, If you want to support this show check out patreon.com slash thinking basketball. We are launching a new site this week. Very excited about that. We've been working on it all fall. I will have the official announcement uh, on Twitter and things like that. And then we'll, we'll circle back next episode with the information, but patreon.com slash thinking basketball. If you want to sign up, we've got extra content available. We have our live Q and a every month and a ton more. As always, thanks for listening all the way through to the end of this crazy. I don't, Cody. Do you feel better or worse than when I feel? I feel more confused than when we started. We didn't even talk about how much better the Wolves' defense is with Gobert on the court and Towns uh, not on the court. Well, Minnesota is going to probably get a video. They might need. They might need an entire podcast episode devoted to them. I think we've done the prudent thing, and we've stayed away from the Timberwolves, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to do with any of these teams. That's it. Thanks for listening all the way through. And uh, of course, I hope you're having a great day.